Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 87. Well, friends, as I talk to you, we're about three weeks past the introduction of new iPhones and also the release of uh, iOS uh, and all the OSs from Apple uh, for the fall of 2023. And I wanted to talk to somebody who, like me, has been digging into them uh, to some some extent before, but certainly since the releases of both the software and the hardware. And that is Stephen Scott. And Stephen's been on the show before, but and I'm going to let him introduce himself because he wears many hats. Stephen... Tell the people who you are and welcome. Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, okay, so first off, Shelley, thank you so much for inviting me back on. It's a real pleasure. Uh, so I am uh, Stephen High. Uh, I am a serial podcaster and broadcaster, I think, is the safest way to put it. Uh, I, I'm going to end up with a Netflix series at this rate. Uh, so I've, uh, I have I do Double Tap, which is on uh, every day uh, as a podcast. It's also on AMI-audio across Canada. Uh, which is Accessible Media Inc., a fantastic organization that promotes disability in broadcasting. Uh, so AMI Audio Broadcast across Canada, I'm on there doing Double Tap, which is our, our daily uh, technology podcast. Yes, daily. Um, I punish myself and I enjoy it. And uh, on TV, we have Access Tech Live, which is a fairly new, still very new show uh, that we do every single week on television. It's also streamed live on YouTube around the world as well. So you can watch us live uh, from noon Eastern every Thursday for Access Tech Live on TV in Canada, on AMI-TV there, and also across uh, the, the world on an internet near you. Well, that's just exhausting, Stephen. And we'll get those URLs at the end of the show. <laughs> I was uh, honored to be on the very first episode of Access Tech Live, and it was a lot of fun. You guys know what you're doing. It's a professional operation. So I encourage people to listen and also to check out Double Tap. Yeah, that, that first episode maybe didn't feel quite as professional as the other ones maybe, but you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. A little better now, are we? <laughs> oh, it's, it's um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's live, right? So, you know, you have, yeah. and I'm just not used to dealing with all those voices in my ear at one time. I mean, I'm used to people talking or at least voices talking but not ones that you have to respond to. No ones you have to actually pay attention to for things yes. to happen correctly. Well, you made me feel very at home, and I appreciate you and Mark uh, taking good care of me. So so it was a lot of fun. Uh, and we were in that instance talking about Apple stuff because uh, mm. Apple had just had their uh, iPhone, what turned out to be their iPhone event, and we were about to release iOS 17. And, um, you know, we all, I think that we talked a lot about what we had seen at the Apple event and what we were expecting and we're hoping for. But now we've actually had a chance to play with this stuff in the wild. And I know, Stephen, you've had uh, you, you've had some uh, of the iPhone 15 line. So I thought we would start there. Mm. Uh, like with what what uh, what fun uh, gadgets uh, did you get uh, since the announcement? Uh, iPhone 15 or 15s, perhaps? Uh, so I got one iPhone, uh, which was iPhone Pro 15 in blue titanium, uh, one terabyte. Thank you to Apple for sending me this. Uh, I do have to send it back. I think. Uh, no, I do have to. I signed a very yeah, uh, they lengthy keep track. document. I understand. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they are, they're going to keep on top of me on this one. This is like this is like iTunes uh, accept all, but with real consequences. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I will definitely be sending it back. But, yeah, they sent me that. They sent me the fine woven case, which I want to talk about uh, because oh, it's just had so many bad reviews, these cases. Hot so takes. Talk- well, we'll get to the hot takes. Yeah. I had mine too. <laughs> I've been intrigued to hear what you think. And also the MagSafe wallet as well. They sent me a MagSafe wallet, which is cool because I kind of feel these days wallets are, are just dying away. I mean, I know a lot of people still have them and they have their purse or whatever, but, you know, everything is now on the phone. I have all my cards on there now. And, you know, the phone is the wallet. You know, I don't even need the, the wallet. But funnily enough, the only thing I have in there now is my bus pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all I Which have. Which in a lot of places can also be put on a phone. Not every place, but a no, lot of places, not here. So, so yeah. the only card left that isn't that isn't in that case. So yeah, that's what I got from Apple, and uh, yeah, I've been playing around. Cool. Well, uh, let's see. I uh, I have a similar setup over here, and I have, as I say, hot takes on fine woven and surprisingly uh, wallet cases. But we'll get to that. Mm. But let's talk about the iPhone 15 Pro. So this and the iPhone 15 Pro Max both in titanium, which is, I think, the most noticeable thing for mainstream users. I had an iPhone 14 Pro Max last year, which was so heavy. And I am not a big phone person in general, and I found that device really heavy. And I've been hefting the iPhone 15 Pro in one hand and the iPhone 13, which I was perfectly happy with, in the other hand, the plain old 13, not the 13 Pro. And it compares very favorably. So how are you liking titanium? 
Well, it's interesting to me because I uh, have the addition of, and I've mentioned this to you before, I think, but I've got the what's called an essential tremor, which is not really anything at all. I mean, neurologically, it's a condition which just affects the hand in a similar way to the way people with Parkinson's affects the wrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it starts shaking the hand. Although it's not anywhere near like Parkinson's, we hope it won't develop into that, but who knows, right? And, and we'll find out in time, I guess. But at the moment, it's just the tremor. So that with it creates a challenge because it's on my left hand, which is my dominant hand. And when I'm holding my phone, uh, it's not so much the shaking that's the problem, it's the weakness of the, of the wrist, the weakness of the arm that causes the problem. So a phone like you're talking about uh, with the 14 Pro Max it's just too heavy. I had a 13 Pro Max and I was struggling with it. And so my wife has that now. She's quite happy with that. But um, I, had to, I had to ditch it. And actually my favourite phone of last year was the 13 Mini because mm. it's just, I, I actually bought a 14 Pro and then went out and bought a 13 Mini and used it instead. And it's only because Apple sent me this 15 Pro that I'm using it, to be perfectly honest, because I, otherwise I probably wouldn't have upgraded to it. Um, because I just feel that this, I was a bit concerned about the weight. But then I pick up this 15 Pro and it's it's not as light as the 13 Mini. Of course it's not, but it's definitely lighter than the 14 Pro I had. And now I admit I had a 14 Pro with an Autobox case around it, which of course adds extra bulk and weight, but you're trying to think about safety as well. You know, I don't want to smash the screen if I'm dropping it around. And I don't drop it very often, but if I do drop it, I want it to be safe. But the Autobox cases, they're brilliant for safety, but they are adding weight to an already heavy phone. Whereas with this, I've got the fine woven case and I can just put it on there. And the, the cases are lighter as well. They've just seem, or maybe it's just me, but they feel lighter. And so the light. phone overall. Yeah, they are, right? And, and, and so I, it does kind of feel... Yeah, and I'm comparing my, my 13 that's in a little Grip Monk bumper case to the 15 Pro, which is in the heavier is the fine woven case and they're very analogous the 13 might be a tiny bit lighter and i just find that the weight of the 13 and probably the weight of the 15 if i had one just plain old 15 would probably be about perfect for me i also have small hands and so i like a smaller phone but i i am impressed with the weight of the 15 pro i i kind of expected well you know it'll be a little bit lighter but it's still going to be a price to pay as far as heaviness and i think the only way i notice it is, you know, that camera bump, they're those lenses, that they're kind of big. And I mm-hmm. suppose it could, you know, be a little bit a little bit top heavy, but it's not usually a concern because I'm not usually trying to balance the phone. I did the other day. I was trying to take a video and it worked out fine because I was careful. Uh, but I just overall, I've been really impressed with the weight of the phone. It's not enough to get me to switch to the throw, I don't think, but I'm enjoying playing with this one. It makes me think back to the days when we had the 13-inch MacBook and then the 15-inch MacBook and then they brought out a 14-inch MacBook and I thought, that's the one, that's it, that's the perfect size. And they've kind of, because they've narrowed the bezels on this, at least all around it, but in actual fact, when you compare the 15 Pro to the 14 Pro, in terms of size, it's not different in terms of height, but it is different in terms of width, definitely narrower. And that makes it nicer to hold in the hand. Your hand isn't stretched out as much to hold. And you'll notice that, but the difference between the Pro Max and the Pro. Yeah, absolutely. And the the Pro Max in general is just, it's just not for me. And I I don't criticize it. I'd be interested to know for Pro Max people how they feel about the weight of the 15 Pro Max. Mm. But that size phone, regardless, is just not for me. And it would be sort of an interesting choice if I were more attuned to the Pro Max features. And I'd be like, oh, well, it's lighter. It's gotten rid of one reason that you might <laughs> consider it. Now, a reason a lot of people would consider Pro phones in our community, well, a couple of reasons, are the LiDAR sensors, which are still only available in the Pros. That's been, poss- that's been true for the past couple of generations, mm. which gives us access to detection mode. And then also this new action button that's in the Pro. So let's, let's talk about that. Have you filled with the action button at all? So <laughs> I'm one of those people who've played with it and then I've put it immediately back to being ring in silent mode because I realised very quickly, and of course doing this job, right, you always have your phone on silent most of the time when you're recording. And today sure. I'm recording like six hours in a row, so I have to have my phone on quiet. But not having that button would just be horrible. So that is my default at the moment. But I must say, I think it's probably going to become a voice recorder function for me. Although I was thinking about this, I've got the Apple Watch Ultra. Not the two, just just the old one. The and, old one. <laughs> yes, old. <laughs> and, you know, it's got the action button as well. So I'm thinking, okay, so I could set you up as a little dictation device, you know, a dictaphone, I should say, and I could set up the iPhone 15 as something else with its action button. 
I mean, ideally I could use a shortcut that could open a menu and then come up with a whole host of different things. But I must admit, I, I, I find I'm kind of keeping it simple at the moment. I know a lot of people are delving into all kinds of different things you can do. Totally get why. Um, but, you know, I, I also think losing the, the mute button isn't great either. So it's trying to find that balance. You know, we need more buttons. Maybe next year, maybe the 16 will have more buttons. It's true because I, I find that the action button just gives me more things I want to do. I actually mm. was somebody who used the silent switch a lot because I didn't normally have my phone ringing, but sometimes I would because if the phone is across the house from me or I would want to hear notifications as opposed to having to look at the phone or, or have voiceover announce it. And so for me, I, I liked the idea of having that switch. I, I can get over it. I'm not one of those people that's going to be, you know, die on the hill of always having the switch, but that wouldn't have been my choice to get rid of it. The problem with the action button for me is I can't decide what I want to do with it because <laughs> as most folks know, there are a lot of accessibility functions under it. So you could do voiceover, you could do Zoom, you could do increased contrast, you could do detection mode with the Pro Phones. Most of the accessibility features that we think of that are on accessibility shortcut and more are available from the action button. Magnifier is also available by itself in the action button. Uh, I have that right now as an app on my home screen. I don't use it often enough for a triple click. And frankly, the action button, even though you have to hold it down, assuming that you have motor dexterity with your finger, uh, mm. is easier to use than the than the triple click. And so I'm like, well, in voice memo, I hadn't even thought about that because I don't really use that too much, but I can see that that might be an essential function for somebody. And so it's hard to decide, would I do that? Would I do a shortcut? I have a couple shortcuts I use in, in writing the accessibility book I do. So I'm thinking, wow, that'd be great to put in the action button. So mm -hmm. it's like, could I have several action buttons, please? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like you want to, and actually you do have two more that we often forget about, and I forgot about until recently, actually, which is back tap. Back tap, yeah. Because you've got the double tap option, you've got the triple tap option on the back of the device, which, you know, I love these articles that call it the secret button, you know, I the know, secret I accessibility know. It's button. Hilarious. It's like, it's not that secret, really. It's just in there. You can go turn it on if you want. And Apple has done it. its best to tell you about them. It's not very mm -hmm. secret. <laughs> the only thing I find with the back tap is if you use haptics on your phone or any kind of um, vibration, to get say calls, it can activate that by itself. Mm. You sometimes find your ringtone could activate a back tap. So that can be a challenge. I, I actually went away from it for a little bit, but I may go back to it um, because the haptics now you've got more control over on these devices. So you can control the prominence of them and um, that might make it a little bit more appealing. But yeah, that gives you two more buttons, uh, secret buttons, potentially. Secret buttons. I'd never had that with the back tap being activated by a vibration. Now, when it very first became available, I would sometimes put my phone down on a surface a little hard and the double tap would activate. It's not as sensitive anymore. And I, I haven't actually used it in quite some time for reasons of my own, I guess. I don't, I'd never really, I haven't really thought about it in a while. Uh, but yeah, that's absolutely true. If you want, if you really like the features that are available, especially under the accessibility and the action button, back tap's a great one. And I guess the, the reason to use the action button would be, again, assuming you have full motor dexterity is that that press down might be a little quicker than a triple tap on the back of the phone. I don't know. I mm -hmm. think you'd have to sort of sort out what's most comfortable for you and what you think is the quickest and which button you want the most, the quickest action on. And that for that's a kind of conundrum that I could spend half an afternoon staring at my phone and going, hmm, what should I do? I know. And, and I think this is why this, this conversation is so valuable in that sense, because there are a lot of people listening who I imagine will be saying, well, I've never used that function before, or I don't use that function. And there's almost like a bit of an, is it okay going on a lot of the time in our community of, is it okay that I don't use this? You know, everyone tells me I should use it. Should I use it? Am I just using my action buttons, a ring silent button option? Is that okay? Of course it is, right? You can use your device any way you want. That's why the option's there. And, you know, if it works for you, that's the most important thing. What works for you? But you'll probably find in time you will experiment and try new things. I think that's what, I, I certainly am more like that. I'm a bit of a six months in, okay, let's start playing around a bit. Or I hear Same. someone, it's usually I hear someone saying, hey, what about that voice memos thing? And I go, I'm going to try that, you know? It, sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches because you have these new things and you're not sure exactly what to do with them. Like I was looking mm -hmm. at the list of the accessibility features that are supported and I'm like, wait, I, I know I don't need 
Zoom under the button, but maybe somebody else would. I know I don't need voiceover. There are all sorts of ways that I'm used to accessing features that I already use, but I might be doing things differently with my phone because I have this new feature, whether it's magnifier or whether it's use of detection mode, because otherwise to get into de- detection mode, especially since I have this 15 Pro, because I want to, ma- I have an Apple loan as well, and I want to make the most of it while I have it. Mm-hmm. So getting into detection mode quickly and accessing those features before I have to send the phone back uh, might be something that I choose to do. And again, that's for testing purposes. What I use in my real life, it's hard to say. I sort of think it might be magnifier because the way I use magnifier is I go when I go to a restaurant and there's a menu, uh, I like to be able to just really quickly whip my phone out and look at that menu. And I think that might be the quickest way for me to access magnifier. But then again, as you say, it can change over time. And that's totally cool. Maybe there'll be a shortcut that I just can't live without. I'll let you know in six months. Well, that's exactly it. There's one shortcut that isn't available yet. I really want it to come out and I hope that the company will build it. They probably are at the moment. Uh, Of course, you'll know about the whole Be My Eyes story Mm -hmm. and how they've developed Be My AI, uh, which enables people to upload images and get visual descriptions of images and then drill into that. So a menu is a great example, right? You could have a, take a picture of a menu and say, tell me about the roast chicken dishes or tell me about the total price of the cheesecake or whatever it is. And it will go off and give you that information. It will pull that from the menu. Um, I would love a, a, a shortcut action button to just upload an image, take a picture and send it to be my AI. That would be, be such great. a cool feature. Um, that would be, that's one that I think I'd use probably more of, more often than not. My, my colleague, Sean on DoubleTap, he, um, he uses his with ChatGPT because ChatGPT, you can now talk to it. You can have a conversation with it rather than having a text back and forward. It will talk to you like, you know, Siri or, or any other uh, a smart system would. So he presses the button and he just says, hello, how are you? And it'll respond and talk to him. And it's so incredibly good. It's terrifying how good it is at that. Um, but of course, you have the reality there that you have to, you know, there's the problem with these shortcuts is sometimes they have these open-ended elements. So once you've activated it, it's kind of always on. And so <laughs> he was just trying to have a conversation with me and it was trying to have a conversation with him at the same time because <laughs> he hadn't quite figured out how to turn it off once he'd enabled it. So you know, sometimes these shortcuts are great. They open the door to something and you can't turn it off. So, uh, but it is a great feature though, being able just to talk to the, the assistant. And of course he has Siri on the right side on his uh, home button. Uh, he'll, you know, hold the, the button in for that. And then on the left side, he's got access to GPT. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think folks who aren't focusing on uh, Chad GPT or things like Be My AI, AI in general, from the point of view of accessibility, may wonder why in the world would you want to talk to a chat GPT all the time? Well, the, the thing about Be My AI, which is so far advanced above even something like Seeing AI, which is a great app for Microsoft, is that uh, be my AI can interpret. So you show it a label. It's not just going to read what's on the label. It's mm-hmm. going to find, as Stephen said, the roast chicken dishes. Or in my case, when I show it a label for a box of um, some mix that I have, and I say, what are the instructions? It doesn't waste the time reading me. This uh, These ingredients were found in the far farthest islands of Borneo, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it skips right to the instructions. Or if I say, how much sodium is in this? It'll find that for me and it'll tell me just what I need to know, which is from a point of view of a lot of print on a, on a little tiny box is just what you want if you have a visual impairment. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. You just want to get to the information. So if I take a picture of a receipt, I want to know what the total cost is. I don't want to read the receipt from top to bottom. And it's interesting because what AI is doing is it's kind of redefining, I think, what is accessibility. And I think there's a real interesting conversation to come in the next maybe even two to three years where we have, and we started having this conversation on Double Tap about what is accessibility in this new AI world? Because if it's the case where you have a screen reader, so as blind people, we might use a screen reader that allows us to read the screen from top left to bottom right. And we can find headings and links and buttons and we arrow through all this and tab our way through these websites to get to the information, searching for the checkout button, searching for the add to basket, whatever it is. If you can just ask AI to find me a yellow toaster that costs around $50 and add it to my basket, please. Oh, and if you wouldn't mind checking out with the card number ending one, two, three. Well, that changes accessibility, doesn't it? It changes the capability of what we can do, but also how the technology interacts. And it may even change how 
we look at accessibility of websites going forward. Um, in the spirit of accessibility, you know, I know in the US, obviously, you have very strict rules around what is accessible. But I think that definition may have to change. I think, too, and this is getting pretty far afield of iPhone, but I'm happy about that because it's a good conversation. Uh, but I, I think, too, that it changes how people learn to interact with accessibility and what their own, not only what their own expectations are, but how you phrase questions. And people have talked a lot about, well, does AI essentially mean that people aren't going to have to, aren't going to learn in the same way, or are not going to be as rigorous about, uh, you know, educating themselves. But I think one thing AI does is teach us how to ask better questions. So if mm. the thing I really want to know, if I want, whether I want to buy that yellow toaster or whether I just want to find the universe of yellow toasters that meet my needs, I'm going to have to ask questions of AI in such a way that I'm going to get back what I want and not garbage because, you know, garbage in, garbage out works with yep. AI just as it does with anything else. The problem we have we have as blind people is that we cannot easily discuss our needs with other people. So if you're in an office environment, right, and you have been sent a document, I had this once in the office, someone sent me a document and they said, everything you want to know is marked yellow. And I'm thinking, uh, okay. So I'm then thinking, right, how am I going to get my screen? I know it can do it. I know it can tell me the attributes of, of text and it can read all this out, but I just wasn't that deep into it at that point. But I just wanted to get to that information. Now imagine I could just ask AI to, you know, surface that information. Just tell me the, the bits that are highlighted yellow. And then I'm able just to get that information back. The key thing there is, the key difference is that that question isn't a question that is just something I might ask. It would be the same question a sighted colleague might ask. And the closest example we've had of this to date is the Amazon Echo, where anybody could turn around to someone else and say, how do you get it to do this? I just want to play Frank Sinatra music all day. How do I get it to play Frank Sinatra all day? And someone says to you, who's totally, you know, not disabled, you know, all the rest of it. And they just turn around and say, oh, you just say, Lady A, play Frank Sinatra all day. And suddenly, you know, that person's doing it. And, and it suddenly makes everything, it becomes a complete level playing field for everybody. Right, so there's not like a special command or a special tab. Or How many times have you been sitting with someone and you've been in the office? I had this so many times. Someone's sitting in an office pointing at a screen saying, just click on that, just click on that. I'm going, I don't know what that is. What is that? Right. I, I, and I, I've got to, no, no, you're way past it. And I'm like, no, no, we'll, we'll get to it. You know, I'm, I'm just going a different route to the way you're getting to it. You're taking a mouse. I'm taking a keyboard and some invisible cursor <laughs> all the way to it. Uh, you know, that all goes away. So suddenly the level playing field happens. And I could see this, I mean, we're seeing it with Copilot developing on Windows. We're seeing it now with AI uh, across other things. Be My AI is a great example of it, where we're really seeing some change in the way we define accessibility. So I, I know we're drifting off, but I just thought that would be an interesting. It, it is interesting. And I think, again, it sort of behooves us to to think about that in terms of like how we interact with, with AI and making our interactions better as well as how we depend on what the robot can do for us. A little bit back on the iPhone 15 Pro though, mm. are you a, a photographer at all? I know you have some vision, but I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's such that you actually have taken the phone out to take any photos or not? Not anymore. No, there was a time, I'd say maybe up till about two, three years ago, I could do it. Um, I, and not very well. I mean, I could take a picture, but these days I'm very reliant if I do need to take a picture. And I don't I can't think the last time I did take one, um, it's usually where I'm relying on voiceover to tell me, you know, what's in frame, where it's in frame. So taking pictures is not something I, I get into. So the camera, when it comes to these devices, you know, and it was interesting because Apple said, what do you want? Do you want the 15 Pro or do you want the 15 Pro Max? And my friend who's sighted, Mark, who is on the TV show with me, he's saying, get the Pro Max because the cameras are better. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm trading for cameras and a heavier phone. And I don't want the heavier phone. I want a lighter phone. And I don't care about the cameras. <laughs> They're <laughs> going to be big enough and, and good enough for anything I need to do. If I'm OCRing some text or I'm reading or I'm taking a picture for Be My Eyes, which is what I'm likely doing, then I think those cameras are, are good enough. Unless someone tells me different, but I, I can't, I don't know if there's enough of a difference. And certainly I would never recommend to a blind person to buy it for that. I, I, just a total aside to this, but a reason that you mentioned earlier about blind people buying larger phones like the Pro Max, one of the reasons I've heard cited most is because those people use Braille screen input and they prefer the larger screen because it gives them more room to be able to tap the screen for Braille screen input. That I've heard more 
uh, reason for, for blind people buying those larger phones than the cameras. That makes sense. And so I, I think we should sort of, at, at the end, get into a little bit of a, a cost benefit for, for why mm. somebody might want to pick what phone. But the reason I brought up the cameras is, the first of all, the Pro is considerably better than the plain old 15. So there's th- sort of three levels of cameras available to you if you get a 15. The 15, the 15 Pro, and the Pro has, you know, 3.3x zoom instead of 5x zoom. So it's a pretty dang good camera. I think those who are really, really camera fans, whether they have disabilities or not, are obviously going to gravitate toward the Max and their mouths are going to water. And it's, it's pretty amazing technology, as I understand it. Yeah. But one of the things that the Pro does, Pro and Pro Max do, that that may not have been tagged as a disability accessibility feature, and I don't guess it really is, but this portrait mode thing where it, it automatically determines, is this something that has an image in it, a person in it or an animal in it? Can I put this into portrait mode? So you take the picture and then afterwards you can go back and make it a portrait. And for folks who aren't familiar, portrait mode basically centers, uh, not not visually, but centers the subject uh, so that you're focused on the subject and the rest of the image uh, sort of blurs elegantly into the background. And uh, you take a, now you take a photo with the pro and you can say, yes, I'd like that to be a portrait. And so the picture of your spouse or your cat or your kid or whatever it is uh, looks really stylish and portrait. And they say, hey, did you take that picture? I didn't think your vision was very good. And you smile and you go, well, you know, <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> um, so I think I think for somebody who's interested in photography, even if especially I think because I'm not a particularly good photographer either. I take pictures and I have enough vision to do it. But especially for somebody who who enjoys it but may not think they're very good at it. Some things like that, like the technology that's inside the pro phones to make your pictures better, might be of interest to some folks. Well, it's interesting you mention this because not so much from the photography point of view from me, but you know, working in TV, uh, although I don't really get engaging or get engaged at all with the, the actual video side, um, it is something I'm delving into a little bit. And there's a couple of reasons for that because with 4K and the capability to record in, in 4K, so very high resolution, I can pretty much point my camera in the general area of someone and then the TV people can take that footage and actually crop it to look good, right? Because they can do that. They can actually crop in without uh, harming the image. I, don't, I, I can't visually imagine how that works, but I guess they're able to just take a snapshot or a little bit of the video, but it, when they zoom into that, essentially, it's not, getting pixelated because it's the high quality video. So that's good because it means I can start doing video and I'm going out to Amsterdam next week and I'll be at a CES event and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be taking some video. So, you know, we'll see what happens, see how good it is. Um, I bought myself a little monopod, uh, which I can carry around with me, which is like a super long cane. Now, I might actually use it as my cane because I think it might be better. Um, fantastic grip <laughs> on it cane with well. a camera, I love it. <laughs> I just, I came with a camera attached. How cool is that? Uh, so yeah, I've got my phone on there and, you know, I'll be able to take my video and, uh, you know, that'd be really cool. And I think that kind of thing, and also action mode, which I must admit is one of those features that is kind of sold to those sports enthusiasts and people who are making lots of videos and so moving around all the time. Again, that could be seen in a way as an accessibility feature because what it does is it allows you to video something as you're moving and they say as long as you have whatever it is, I think someone used a demo of a, of a building somewhere, like a really fancy old building, and they just walked past it and the camera was shaking all over the place. But when you watched it back, the action mode gave it such a smooth, almost like a gliding effect along in the front of this building. So, you know, again, the capability is there for people who are not professionals at making video but can actually make really good video. And that could apply to a lot of blind people because remember that voiceover capability of being able to see what's in frame, that makes it even more. I mean, you're not going to be able to do that with any DSLR. Um, You're not going to be able to do that, I would imagine, to much degree with an Android phone, although I don't know enough to be sure on that, but I don't think that would be the case. But with an iPhone, you've got so much verbal feedback that even a totally blind person can make a, a fairly decent video. Of course, don't get me into editing. That's a whole other story. So LiDAR has been on the Pro phone since the 13s. Mm. Uh, 13s or it's 12s? I can't even remember. 13s. Um, and, and that is a camera 
supporting feature, but for us, it, it is enabled detection mode. We started with people detection, and then we got door detection last year, and now we have this thing called point and speak, which I think is poorly named, but even so. Uh, so we have these multiple methods of detecting stuff in our environment. Have you used point and speak at all? I have. I'd like to say it's brilliant. Um, I think the concept is brilliant, but I unfortunately don't think the functionality is there yet. There's a lot of things. I point at things, and it just doesn't either respond. It doesn't know what it is. I think it's very early days. Uh, I feel it it should be better than it is at this stage, to be honest. I like the idea of it, though, and I do like the, the concept. I mean, for example, the microwave, I think, was used as an example in the in the demo video from Apple. And I have a new, microfo- a new microwave, I should say, at home, which is, you know, just like this. It's got loads of buttons on it with symbols. And what's interesting is, of course, oftentimes we don't have a clue what these symbols mean. You know, even if you can see them, you'd probably be like, What's that for? I mean, obviously, if it, if it looks like a fish, then okay, I'll assume it's something to do with fish, you know. But if I can't see that, I need it to be able to, you know, tell me. And you know, I'll point to that button, and doesn't have a clue. So I think we're at early days. Uh, I like the concept. I've, I think this is something that could really be beneficial longer term. It could actually work better in other areas. I mean, for example, we see with products like OrCam which are very specialist products, you can point at something and it will read what you're pointing at. And I think that kind of functionality is what we're looking for in point and speak. But it does feel like a beta feature to me, if I'm honest. I think it's something that will develop over time. Yeah, because what we're, what we're asking point and speak to do is to give us feedback on the specific thing we're pointing at, whereas an AI-based functionality, like we're talking about Be My AI and other things, mm. we're pointing at this big image that might be a bunch of text, that might be a, a label or something. And we're saying, tell me something about that. But with point and speak, we're saying, I am pointing at this individual thing. Please identify it for me. And it's text-based that it's it's based the, basing the identification. So yeah. I'm, you know, the microwave is the example that's used most often. I mentioned vending machines when I was talking about examples. I mean, there are any number of cases where there are both symbolic and textual representations that point, point and speak if it were truly smarter, it could use both the text and the symbols, especially if you're talking about like product symbols, you know, things that are sort of known in the universe as, you know, what they mean. Like you mentioned a fish. So on a microwave, a fish might have a different context than it might on another device, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, I'm trying to think, you know, something that might be on well, a freezer. washing machine, some yeah, sort of icon yeah. and that th- th- has a different meaning if it's on a clothes washing machine than it would on a microwave or on a... If there's a fish, if there's a fish symbol on your washing machine, I want to be asking (laughs) questions about what is going on with that washing machine. I I am intrigued to know what that button does. Same, same. (laughs) But yeah, it's early days. I think mostly not even based on how well it actually works, but how much it can do. In other words, I feel like it needs more features. And unfortunately, sometimes when we get accessibility features that are new, there is that first year of, well, you guys could be all of our beta testers, even though they had, you know, some some beta time, because this works on previous phones. You don't have to have an iPhone 15 Pro for this, but uh, but it is something that's part of the Pro and the Pro Max and might lead somebody to choose to buy one. Uh, but it does feel like in some cases you're putting a feature out there as kind of a proof of concept and an opportunity for everybody to be the beta testers. And so, yeah, I I think we would probably agree that you wouldn't buy a pro phone just for point and speak, but that it would, it's something interesting to try. And I I hope they find ways to do more with it. And there's been mixed results with door detection and people detection and all of that. It feels like it's still very early in its development. Interestingly, the features of LIDAR are accessibility focused features. I mean, the very first feature was people detection, which was, I, I guess it was intended for people to be able to identify it because, of course, at the time it came out, it was at the middle of lockdowns and the, the pandemic was at its height. So, you know, we were all, you know, encouraged to safely distance. So, you know, this was helping a lot of blind people do that. And it was okay, but it never felt 100% accurate. It feels like all of these, I, I don't know, there's lots of these develop, these technologies that are developed and they're never 100% right. Well, people detection was interesting too. I think that was serendipity because if you think about how long that must have been in development before COVID happened, that was mm-hmm. 2020. And so you have, or 20, I guess it was 2021. So so they might've had a little time, but I'm sure it was in development before COVID happened. And then they got to rewrite their marketing materials and say, hey, you're social distancing. You want to yes. know how far away you are from a person. So it, it worked in their benefit. And yeah, I think, I actually think 
people detection probably is the most straightforward of the three in terms of working the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And I think probably that's because the, um, the amount and type of information that's being asked for is the simplest. Because door detection, not only are you finding a door opening, you're determining its status, you're finding out if there's any text on it, you're telling me whether there's a lever or a knob, all that kind of stuff that's open to, you know, mistakes. And I, I think, too, that some of these detection features, because there's sort of a small population using them, uh, maybe they have less, fewer data points about, you know, how well it's actually working. Because they're, you know, Apple sometimes gets criticized for, like, a lot of the examples that they use or a lot of what they test against is stuff that's in, well, in Cupertino or in environments where Apple engineers are. And that's so fine. I guess I wonder if some of the the door detection, the point-and-speak features specifically could just benefit from a little more airing out uh, you know, I haven't used them as if my life depended on it because it doesn't. No. And so I guess I'm, 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 I'm willing to be forgiving because I think they're cool features. But at the same time, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I would buy a phone based on whether they had them or not. No, I, I definitely wouldn't. I mean, for people who are coming into this world of visual impairment, you know, if you're coming into that world and you think that this technology at this stage is going to help you in any meaningful way, I would strongly encourage against that. I think that nothing beats your traditional orientation and mobility skills and, you know, finding a door, using your hands, you know, just getting amongst it is probably the best way sometimes, uh, you know, trusting this technology at this stage, you know, just, just getting feedback from my audience who've been saying to me, you know, they thought it was a door, the, it told them it was a door. It turned out it was something totally different. It might be it was the garage door or, you know, on one occasion it, it mistook a, how it does this. I don't know. It mistook a pair of shoes for a doorknob. <laughs> um, now, first off, I would imagine the shoes were on the ground. So, I would think you know, so, yeah. Why would it think that? But you know, again, that's the complication. And of course, it can create a confusion for people um, thinking that if you're totally blind, standing there suddenly thinking, what's, I think on one occasion, someone it was stuck as a person in, the per in that person's house that they were in alone. So, you know, that can be really frightening if yes. you think someone's standing there. And, and of course, there's nothing there, but you you're trusting the technology. So yeah, it's difficult. I, I had a, an example, and I think this is where the, this convergence about the, the text and symbols needs to get right. I was in a hospital for an appointment, but maybe a few months back, and I used Seeing AI to try and navigate my way out of the hospital. I'd, I'd gone into the hospital and I didn't do the appropriate uh, legwork, shall we say, um, to you know take a note of every right turn and left turn that I had taken so I could find my way back out. Uh, someone had taken me to where I was going, but it was a, a windy little hospital, lots of different corridors. And so I get to where I'm going and I come out and I'm on my own and I think, okay, how do I get back here? So I thought, I'll use my phone. It will follow the, the exit symbols. And it did, it followed exit. But the problem was there were three ways to go and all it was saying was exit. So there must have been a symbol that said straight on or left, but I couldn't detect it. So, you know, this is the problem in the real world. There are these simple challenges and the technology is just not quite there to, to tackle it yet. Right. And in theory, that's a problem for AI, too, because you, you might say something like, find me the most efficient route out. But it still has to be able to essentially see ahead. It has to be mm -hmm. able to see around and ahead and interpret one sign in relationship to another, that sort of thing. So Yes, that's right. It's a challenge. But let's do that sort of cost-benefit analysis of the phone, because I think I have been surprised, truthfully, how many blind folks have chosen pro phones, given that if you mm. ask most people, why pick a pro phone? versus a non-pro, a phone of the same year, why they would pick a pro phone. And a lot of people say, well, it's, you know, mainstream folks will say the camera. Or they, in the case of the Pro Max, they might say the size, although you could get a plus, which is the same size, but a lot cheaper and mm -hmm. few, some fewer future, features. And now we have this sort of lightweight titanium, but the Pros are not lighter than the 15s. So what you have from an accessibility point of view, it seems to me, is the action button and the LiDAR features. And I guess I wonder what your thoughts are about a Pro versus a, a non-Pro phone for somebody who has a visual impairment or other accessibility needs. So I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think there's a bit of FOMO goes on, the fear of missing out, the fear of buying something and it being lesser than the alternative. So, you know what, I'm going to spend my money. I may as well just spend a few hundred dollars more and get what I will use and will have for, you know, maybe two years, maybe a year, depending on how people buy. Uh, of course, some people may buy on contracts or pay up. You know, I know that, that option where you can pay the, the rolling 
essentially like a lease almost with Apple. You just go back after a year, you hand it back, you get the new one. Um, you know, some people might do it that way. So lots of people will have different methods of paying. And if you're paying in that kind of way, then you're probably more likely to go for the higher option because it doesn't cost you as much overall, or at least not in the monthly sense. It might cost you more overall uh, the length of the term, but you don't maybe notice it that way. Uh, whereas if you're putting down the full amount, then I think most people are going to say, do you know what, I may as well just go for the higher option. They're hearing us talk about things like LIDAR, which they would miss out on. And I think it's almost, I think, an expectation that there's going to be a killer feature for LIDAR that we just cannot live without. And therefore we should have it. Also, I think there's a lot of blind people, and I've been guilty of this as well, of thinking that you need the better phone because you need those better cameras. And the truth is, that the iPhone SE 2020 that I've got sitting here, its camera is just a single camera. I don't know what its capability is in terms of, you know, zoom or all that, but it's a perfectly good camera. It works perfectly fine. The front camera is fine. It does everything it needs to do. So from that point upwards, it really doesn't matter anymore about the camera, truthfully, for most functions, unless you are a photographer. But again, if we just strip it back to most people are probably not photographers, they just want to take a picture of the kids running about or they want to take a picture of their pet or they want to take a picture of their guide dog or whatever it is. For that, you don't need to have anything more than the base level. Now, when it comes to the upgrade itself, I think there's a question about whether it's time or not because this particular iteration of iPhones seems to be a very minor update to the 14s. So if you're on a 14 today, you're probably not going to upgrade. I've got the 14 Pro. If Apple didn't send me the 15 Pro, I wouldn't be buying it because I don't need to upgrade. I do like the action button. I won't lie, it's really nice, but I can live without it. I can assign other ways to do the things I've been doing. Backtap, as we mentioned earlier, is a great example of it. So I think if you are someone today with an iPhone 10 or an iPhone SE or an 11 or 12, I think this might be the year you might want to make the move because you will be getting those extra functions that are worthwhile. But... <laughs> It's really hard, isn't it? Because LiDAR is available, like you say, from the 13 onwards. Hence why I say 12 upwards, is, or 12 backwards, I guess, is probably the best way to look at this. If you've got one of those phones, then maybe it's the year to do the upgrade. As for whether or not it's regular iPhone 15 or Pro, it seems most people, most blind people are going down the Pro route, but I think it is because they feel that they want this LiDAR feature, that it will do something, that it will give something more. Um, the truth is it probably doesn't. The cameras don't make that much difference. The The LiDAR sensor is there. It's a function. But like we've said, the features still feel very beta at the moment. And yeah, I mean, the action button, that's a, that's a choice for people. But, you know, most people I think could happily buy the 15 and would just get on with their lives and be happy. I think most people could still buy the SE and be perfectly fine. And they'd have that home button, which a lot of people like as well. So, you know, cost benefit is one thing, but you've got to think about the feature set and what you're actually doing. And, you know, it's interesting. My mum, a great example of this, actually. My mum, I've just bought her a new iPad 10th gen because her old iPad was was packed in pretty, or has packed in pretty much. And the first thing she said to me is, where's the where's that button I pressed to get me back to the start? <laughs> and I said, this doesn't have that. It's got a different button. I don't like it. She gave me it back. So it's had to take it home. I took it back to the Apple store. And thankfully, they're still selling the iPad 9th gen which is like the iPhone SE of iPads because it's still got the home button on it and that's the one she's happy with. So, you know, that's another thing to consider. You're going to lose that home button if you're on the SE, you'll lose that function. Yeah, it's it's funny how a lot of blind people are either on one end of the spectrum. They want the SE because they want the home button as well. They should have that decision to be able to make that decision. Mm. Or there are, I know a lot of people, as you say, who have chosen the Pro. And I think the point you make about the camera's relative goodness for things like OCR scanning is is right, or even using with Be My Eyes or something is right. It doesn't have to be the best camera for that. And and the FOMO seems real. I think there are a lot of people who, who, who in the, just as in, in the typical community are like, well, it's pro, that means it's better. So why don't I yeah. get that? <laughs> um, I also think it's interesting. I feel like so even though LiDAR came in the 13, I feel like the 12 generation is still part of the 12, 13, 14, and 15 are all very similar. 
phones. Yeah. And with the 12 and 13, you, you had the mini. You don't have those anymore. But with the differentiations between the pros and the regular phones, all those generations are very similar. You have an interesting product pipeline of, of, of those products where you can say, wow, 12 or 12 Pro. There's a clear distinction, but you don't feel like you're being cheated if you get the 12 versus the 12 Pro or the 15 versus the 15 Pro. But what I find interesting is that to me, it seems like you have if you want to, you have the ability to keep your phone longer. I was on a every two-year cycle for a long time, partly because of the kind of work I do, but also just because that kind of made sense and the, the upgrades were at a level where every two years felt like a reasonable upgrade. I have a 13 this year. I'm actually not planning to trade it in. Obviously, I have the benefit of the 15 Pro from Apple for a while, and I'll use that as my phone until I can't. But I still wouldn't have traded my 13 because my 13 is still giving me good value. It feels really good in my hand. I'm really used to it. I'll probably trade it next year. And I feel like for people who are really value conscious, the message that I would give them is it's okay to keep your phone three or four years if you want to mm -hmm. because Apple is good about supporting several generations back with the current operating system. And most of the new features are nice to haves and not essential like the action button or like dynamic island i didn't get dynamic island last year i have it now in the pro i enjoy it uh, because there are actually a couple of ways in which timers with voiceover in the dynamic island are superior in terms of the way they the, the amount of information they read out to you which is kind of funny i wrote about that for six colors last year but um it, it just feels like you can't and apple doesn't want to hear this but it feels like you can keep that phone longer and still be almost up to date you see, I wonder about this, right? I wonder if Apple, I mean, obviously the, the, their intention is to innovate with the technology. I, I do feel Apple could easily move to an every two-year iPhone upgrade rather than a yearly. I, I, I feel the technology is at the stage where there's just not enough of a move forward, enough of a change. This is where I'm kind of jealous of the Android people because they get so many options when it comes to devices us iPhone people, we get, you know, two or three options and that's it. But it's all the same, right? It's all the same mm -hmm. thing. And you're absolutely right. There's no real reason to switch away to a new phone at this point. And I don't know if Apple are that bothered about that. I think they're very keen on keeping people in the ecosystem. And hence why they will support phones going back as far as they do. I think if they were keen on upgrades first and more focused on that, they would kill off more iPhones. I mean, the, the SE is an interesting one because... I don't think we'll ever see support for the SE disappear until there's a new SE. So that usually gives you a sense of how long you'll wait for a new SE to come out because you'll have to wait for the new one to replace it first. You know, they're not going to knock off those people. Um, if you're on a 12, I mean, you're going to have that for many years to come. You're probably going to have, you know, an iPhone. I mean, if you're on a 13 especially, you've got another two, three years out of that at least. So, you know, you do get to, to benefit from that. And that partly, I think, is driven by... The fact that phone contracts, and I don't know what it's like in the States, but here in the UK, you can have up to three years now on a plan where you're paying off your phone over 36 months as well as having your airtime contract. And if you're working on that basis, then yeah, you want to have that. That phone has to be uh, accessible and available to you for three years because that's how long you're going to be paying for it. Well, and did you notice at the at the event that Apple made a point of saying how many deals there were with carriers to get you into a phone? And I don't yeah. think that's them saying you have to give up on your old phone now at all. I think that's them saying, here, this is a great phone, and if you want to keep it for a long time, there are ways you can get into a phone for an affordable amount of money, whether it be some sort of discount now or whether it be longer payment terms, as you say, three years as opposed to two years, that sort of thing. feels like there's a lot more flexibility in the way you acquire and keep phones than there used to be. Remember, phones used to be locked to specific carriers. Now they're not. Yes, that's right. You'd buy your phone, it was stuck to the network for maybe a year or two, sometimes the length of a contract. Uh, now you don't have that. You know, you can buy that phone and you can switch around as much as you as you want, which is great. But, you know, there is something about these older phones. I, I think the one that I feel most sorry for is the 13 Mini, which is the last Mini to die. Um, although it's not dead, because you could go and buy a new one today. You just maybe wouldn't get it from Apple, but you'll get it elsewhere. Uh, refurbished as well. I mean, look, we're all very keen on buying new, but, you know, I've bought in the past uh, a lot of refurbished stuff from the big store that starts with A, and... It's good stuff and it works fine and it's got the warranty. Uh, Apple even sell refurbished Apple as well. Apple sells refurb stuff that's very good. Yeah. I've bought from them, yeah. 
I mean, you know, it, it makes sense to do it that way. That's actually that's how I got the iPad 9th gen. Because I thought, look, my mum doesn't care. You know, it's going in a case. She just sits on her table and she plays solitaire on it. She doesn't care, you know, what's going on. And it's not as if it's coming in as if it's been booted up and down the street all day. You know, so it's fine. You know, it's got the warranty on it as well. So you can save money. So for value conscious people who want to upgrade, there are other methods. I think we're, we're so keen on the new and the, you know, I, I must admit, there's nothing quite like a fresh smell of a new Apple product out of a box. <laughs> but, you know, I can save a few hundred dollars and, you know, still get the same experience and just get it in a different colour box, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It is fun to take it out of the new boxes. Speaking of new boxes, let's talk about the fine woven cases. So oh, yeah. I yeah. Uh, had read all of the, the, the reviews are not only bad, but they're extraordinarily aggressively aggressive <laughs> in terms of yes. how they're explaining that this case is terrible. So this is Apple's attempt to have a non-leather case, but a, a premium case that is a little more eco-friendly. And uh, when it hit the streets, it the stuff hit the fan. And a lot of people were just like, these cases are terrible. They're not durable. They scratch easily. Uh, people were, you know, letting their dogs gnaw on them or whatever. <laughs> I, I basically, when I, I had had mine for a day, I I'd not planned to have an opinion on the fine woven case. I was going to use it, but I had had no plans for an opinion. And then I started reading those reviews and I was like, oh, my God. And so I wrote a little thing for Six Colors that I admitted was a hot take, which basically said, it's fine. It's fine. But it's not, you know, it's not leather. It's not super premium. But I was never a big fan of Apple cases anyway. But, but let me hear from you. What, what was your take on the fine woven case when you got it? I am exactly the same as you on this. I didn't find a problem with it. In fact, I actually quite like it. I like the kind of fabric material. So here's the thing. On my MacBook Pro, uh, I bought one of these little, you know, that you can buy cases, but cases that snap onto the MacBook. Yeah. Just to keep it protected. It means you don't have to put it inside a, a case. Um, if you've got it in a laptop bag, it's not going to get scuffed, that kind of thing. And the one I got had a, a nice fabric to it. I didn't intend it to be, but that's what I got from a company called Spigen. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but S-P-I-G-E-N. And um, it's, it's a really lovely case. It makes the MacBook feel nice. I just sit all day pawing my MacBook. And it's kind of the same with this. I, I like the material. I get that people don't like it if they rub their nails against it. Here, use flash. Don't rub your nails against it. There's the problem solved. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I actually think this has got a nice feel to it. It's got, it feels lighter. I am not going to lie. It doesn't feel as premium as the leather option for sure. And I've solved that. I've solved that by buying a Nomad leather case, which they still sell. Uh, they do the folio version. They do a regular one that covers the back. And, you know, that'll be nice to have, right? But, you know, truth be told, this is a really nice little case. It feels, I would say, less premium even than the silicon. Um, but I, I'm, I was never a big fan of the silicon cases, to be honest. I just never liked the feel of them. After a while, they just started to get a little bit sticky. Um, if you have any way oily fingers at all, and of course, you know, if you move around all day and you're sweating a bit, then that's just going to transfer onto it. It wasn't very nice after a while. But these feel nice. I don't, obviously the benefit I have is I don't see the dirt on it if there's any. So I'm not bothered about it discolouring in any way. That doesn't bother me too much. I'm more interested in protecting the phone, but also keeping that phone light. And that's what it does. Yeah, I, I've never been a particular fan of Apple cases for a couple of reasons, one of which we'll get into in a second. But I, I didn't even really like the Apple leather cases particularly. I knew they were made of leather, but they didn't really feel like it to me. They weren't no. leather in the way that I kind of like a leather case and I didn't like the don't like the clear cases hard plastic hate silicon hate it hate it hate it never yeah. like those kinds of cases and so in short apple cases were more expensive and they weren't the style I liked so this is an apple case that I have because apple sent me a phone and they would like me not to knock my phone around so I guess they sent me a case so that I would <laughs> not do that uh, so I dutifully put it on there and I got the wallet as well and mm. yeah I I so I'm not comparing them to leather when I say they feel fine they're just fine and they I think that surface on the back, which is you sort of rub your you nail against it and you get a little rough, you know, it's sort of a, a, a sort of a it, it sort of sounds kind of rhythmic when you rub your nail against it. It yeah. makes a little noise, uh, which is supposed to be like suede, I guess. It's not. But I think for some people that texture feels tacky and that it like might attract dirt. In my experience, it hasn't really. Now, I haven't put it through its paces. I've mostly been around home. But obviously, I mean, I have pets. So if there were going to be dirt around my house, I'm sure the case would have found it and probably, you know, will at some point. But just for me, 
Now, if I if I had paid sixty dollars for it, sixty dollars U.S., I might feel differently. I don't know. Mm. I'm just I'm just saying that it is not the disaster. I think some of the reviews, once reviewers started uh, really attacking it, other reviewers felt like they had permission. You know how when a product is maybe not as well regarded. Some people will kind of pull their punches and they won't say this product is terrible and no good and very bad. They'll just say, I don't care for it or they'll, you know, they'll be a little soft pedally about it. But then once they get permission to go all in because somebody else has done it, especially somebody like, you know, The Verge or whoever that's a, you know, big name, then people, some of the language people used sort of startled me. I think it's fine for them to use that language. It's nothing offensive, but I just felt like people were allowing themselves to get onto a bandwagon about it. And it did, oh, was yeah. just, it was not a, it was a disservice to people who might want to buy the case, honestly, because it was less information and more hyperbole. Hyperbole. I, <laughs> I think that's the problem now, though, right? That there's so many people who uh, are, are desperate for the clicks. And, you know, I'm not into that world. I'm lucky. I don't have to worry about clicks or likes or shares or, you know, that doesn't really, that's not my world, right? So I can say what I think. I'm not on an agenda. Neither do you. You say what you feel and we can speak honestly. And I think the companies appreciate that because we're, we're telling them our thoughts as opposed to, you know, here's the shocking headline out of the parallel episode this week that said <laughs> when Stephen, you know, went off on a forward, right. uh, four-letter tirade about these cases. It's just not going to happen, you know, because I'm not interested in that. You know, I'd rather just tell you what I think. And, and what I think is... That, you know, I, I get it doesn't feel as premium as leather, but if you're comparing it to leather, then okay. If you're not, if you're wanting to just focus on its own merits, I think it's a perfectly decent case. I do take a point, though. If we'd spent the money on this, we might feel differently. But then I've, yeah. I've felt that way about other... I've bought plenty of Apple products in my time, so I suppose I maybe wouldn't. I, I think I do know how I feel about this. And interestingly, you mentioned the MagSafe wallet, which is uh, also a case for your fine woven case. Um, because it nicely <laughs> covers the back. So if you are not a lover of it, you can just feel it on the outside of the uh, wallet. Uh, interestingly, blue titanium phone, blue fine woven case, and tan MagSafe leather. I well, think they're weird. trying to make me fashionable. <laughs> Come on, Apple, get with the program. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was actually quite good. I thought it's like a mulberry fine woven <laughs> case with my natural titanium phone. So, oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> Very nice. Um, this is an interesting one. Um yeah, this, this this MagSafe case. What's your thoughts? Because uh, yeah, I, I have. Well, the I have wallet thoughts. thing. I okay. So, and I should say, and this is sort of regurgitating what I wrote about in Six Colors too. But uh, I like phone cases, and I have long for a long time had a folio style wallet case because unfortunately, mm. I do have to carry some cards around with me. I have a, an ID card for my job that I have to carry. I have some credit card, even though I have uh, my debit card on. The phone. I, I have to carry cards. I have to carry stuff. And I am also the sort of person that I always like to have a, a $20 bill tucked in so that I have a little cash in case Back I need it. Backup plan. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, I've got – so what I've decided – what I've done is I've made these phone cases that are folio-style wallet cases with slots for cards. That's my wallet. I don't carry a wallet anymore, but I do carry that phone. Sometimes that's the only thing if I'm go, getting in a car with somebody and so I don't have to carry like – glasses and a monocular and all the things I need to navigate on my own, sometimes the only thing I carry is that phone wallet. And I've decided that I'm a, I will spurge on it because I like leather cases. And so in the past, I have bought uh, third-party leather cases that are, like I say, full-on wallets. And then at some point, uh, I was really lamenting, maybe it was with the iPhone 13, I was like, wow, this is really heavy. Like to carry around the house, it's kind of dumb to carry your whole wallet from the bedroom to the living room. I just didn't see any point in doing that. So I decided to go and look on the wire cutter, and I found what their best bumper case was. And it wasn't silicone, and it wasn't leather, so it was affordable, and it wasn't going to be tacky. And it's called Grip Monk, and it's a plastic case, and it's got a little bit of a um, sort of a sort of grooves on the side, so they're easy to hold the phone. The case is very lightweight. It was thirty bucks, so the cost of my two cases. So I have two cases. That's the bottom line. I have a home case and I have. Travel case. So when I leave my house, I put my phone in a different case, like a nerd, because I I like the wallet thing. And so the little wallet uh, that goes on the back of the fine woven case and the same same design as they had before with the wallet cases, or just is basically just a little pocket 
So mm. you can put, if you just have a couple of cards and it's magnetized, so you can put it on the back of the fine woven case and it'll stick. And they call that a wallet. I just call it a pocket because that's really what it is. It's just like yeah. a place to put your little credit cards. So if you have a couple cards and that's all you need to carry, that's a great way of doing it. But I don't really like that arrangement. So I still have my little wallet case over there where I keep my keys. And so when I leave the house, I switch from one case to another. I'm like Mr. Rogers in his sweater. When I come home, I switch to my other case. And as nerdy as it is, I looked at, because I was actually able to find a good deal uh, on this leather wallet case I bought for the iPhone 13. And so the cost of my two cases exactly equals the cost of this one fine woven case from Apple. Wow. (laughs) And that's my confession, Stephen. I'm living the two case lifestyle. I think you're quite right. And I have to say, as someone who's just bought a slinger recently, the, you know, the uh, lanyard that is mm-hmm. extendable. Uh, the problem with the lanyard or that particular lanyard for me is that you have to stick it to something. You, mm-hmm. ha- you, you can't just attach it or it doesn't come with a phone case. You have to stick it with adhesive to a case. I'm not obviously going to do that with the fine woven case that Apple have sent me. I'll probably get something cheap off, off you know, Amazon or whatever and just put it on there. But, you know, that's, again, the problem is you you, ha- you almost have to have different cases for different functions. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, I kind of like the idea of the folio case. I do like the fact that the phone is protected. The problem I mm-hmm. find, though, is getting one that will hold my stuff very quickly. It gets to the point where you can't close it over properly. And that irritates me. And I don't like those ones with the big flaps that come out and there's a button that sticks in. I hate all yeah, that. Yeah, I don't either. I just want one that closes. In fact, my wallet, my, my uh, the traditional old-fashioned wallet, has a zip around the outside of it, which I just adore because I know nothing's going to fall out of it. Um, but, you know, you, d- you don't really get that, and you probably wouldn't want that for your phone. But I, I, I think with this case, what I, what I have noticed for sure, I mean, a couple of things that are stand out right away, and the reason why I might want this versus a regular wallet, although we could talk about ways to, to solve this problem quite easily, I guess, Um is the Find My integration. So Find My, when you connect this on the back, it automatically knows it's there. So the phone will say, oh, you've got your wallet with you, that's cool. Uh, and then also your Find My is activated on that as well. So if I lose, the, if it falls off or something happens, I'll know where it is and I can go find it. Um, it does only carry one or two cards, that's true. Um, for me, that's okay, because I only have really my bus pass card and that's it. So I can just plonk that in the back and that's what I did yesterday. I was out all day. And it was great just to have it. I kind of wish that there was a better way of getting the card out from the back because you, you have to take the MagSafe wallet off yeah, to get the pain. card out. That's that a bit of a slot is very small. It is, but it's at the back. So the slot to get the card, yeah. and I, I understand it, right? From a security point of view, you don't mm-hmm. want anybody able to grab your right. card. But, you know, there's, there's other ways they could have done this, I guess. It just feels it's, it's protected in there to some degree. But, you know, to, for you to get it off, you have to almost dismantle your phone. So I don't like that aspect of it. But, you know, I do like the material. I do like the style. Um, I like the, the Find My integration. The magnets are definitely improved because the first strong. edition, I remember the first version of this, and it, was, it wasn't falling off, but it was loose. Um, they've improved that greatly on this. So this feels pretty solid on there. Um, and you've got to get, you know, you, I don't have much in the way of nails, but, you know, you kind of have to dig in a bit to get the, the thing off. And that's good. That's, that's, that's actually quite good. And I can see the benefit. Is it worth the money, though? I don't know. I don't know if not it's worth for it. me. I mean, I, no. somebody who appreciates the benefits you were just talking about, I think it is like for for me. I have to take it off because the I have a sort of a, a, a the charger that I have in my office is a stand up charger, and I can't charge the phone with the MagSafe wallet on the back because That's it won't right. lay flat, and so I have to take it off, thus negating the benefit. Because whenever I walk out of the room, it goes, "Hey, you left your wallet." Yeah. I'm like, "I know. I, I I'm just, I'll be back." And so it's just it's sort of a hassle for me. And I, you know, I guess the solution is either to use that cable that came with the phone or to use a proper MagSafe puck, which will charge with the MagSafe case, with the wallet case. Uh, well, it will, but not with a stand-up one. So I've got yeah, one that, right. of, of all these Belkin three right ones. Yeah, and it's, it's right. like it's, it floats in the air. So when the phone is connected on the MagSafe charger, it is floating. But if I try to connect my phone to it, it just falls off. So I have to take the MagSafe wallet off. And, and that's the problem in a way that it's kind of built in a way that it's always in the way. So you, you're always having to take it off. And if I have to take it off more than put it on, 
I'm just going to forget to take it with me and I'll just end up putting I'll just put the, the card in my pocket, you know, that's it, problem solved. Or, I mean, or if I'm really that bothered about it, I could just stick an air tag in my wallet and then I don't have to worry about Find My because it's in there. There you go. Well, Stephen, I could talk to you all day about Apple stuff, both hardware and software, but uh, I think uh, in, instead I will thank you so much for, for coming on and ask you, is there is there anything we haven't talked about with the phones or the fine wovens that you wanted to, to mention before we get going? No, I mean, we hadn't we haven't really touched much on software, and I know you'll probably know. come back to that. But you know, I think there's that, so much. <laughs> well, there is, and I think assistive access is going to be those features that I'm really keen to dig into Same. because that simplification of the OS for people who have cognitive issues, I think, is going to be great for 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 those people. But I think for a lot of us as well who are voiceover, getting into voiceover fresh. There's lots of us already using products out there that do similar, but you've got to pay extra for the for the feature. And I think it'll be interesting to see how these features work with voiceover. We know they will because they'll have considered all this. We know that. And that's, that is ultimately it. You know, people often say to me, why do you bang on about Apple all the time? And I say, because whenever I watch an Apple event, I know that that product is going to be accessible. Vision Pro is a visual product. I know they're building voiceover into it. I, I, I mean, even before I knew they were building into it, you just know they're building it into it. Apple TV comes out it's going to be accessible. This comes out, it's going to be accessible. So, you know, that's why I get excited about it. And, you know, I also know one thing for, well, sure-ish, <laughs> is that the um, the various components of accessibility tools will work together. In the initial days, if you remember, and I'm sure you will, uh, the initial days of voiceover, if you had voiceover and Zoom running at the same time, calamity, right? It was just a disaster. Um, couldn't get anything to work properly. It was one or the other would work. Now, of course, you can work across and that's fantastic. So, you know, I'm very excited about where things are going. I have to say, I'm more excited about the updates and the feature sense this year. The one feature that not a lot of people will be excited about, and I'll leave you with this, I am excited about it, is that I finally got the eloquence, the Jaws voice on my watch. <laughs> on my watch, On your Shelley. watch, wow. Yeah. I was like, eloquence, I, I, I know my, my watch sounds like something from the 1980s. It's brilliant. Wow. What a waste of a speaker. Have you, have you tinkered around with per voice settings? Uh, <laughs> bigger head, breathiness. Yeah, bigger uh, head, that's no, hilarious. I, I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I've t- oh I listen God. to it and I'm thinking, what, is, what am I listening for here? No, I, I know a lot of people who love this stuff and who are really into it and they spend hours tweaking it. I think, again, the point is, they are putting in these features, which is great. And why not? I mean, we don't have to use them. But the fact is they're there for those who do. And I think that's the best thing about all this. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting year because and I would say on an iPhone... this voice named Shelly. So what better, you know? That, exactly, that's right. But, you know, I think <laughs> it's overall... It's not the one been, I use, I'll confess, but... <laughs> it's a good it's been a good year for, for Apple in the sense of the updates. I think in terms of the hardware updates, though, so far everything's just felt very incremental. I think so. And and given more time, I'm sure we could talk a lot about software. I agree with you about assistive access. I think that's a sleeper feature that not a lot mm. of people are talking about and that they should be because it's something very unlike everything else that iOS has done in the past. And so someday maybe we'll uh, we'll have a chat about that as yeah, well as yeah. the voiceover integration. Stephen Scott, thank you so much for being here. Tell people where they can find your many projects on the web. So simple. Uh, the easiest place to go is ami.ca. That's uh, Accessible Media Inc.'s website, ami.ca. You can find us on social media as well, on X, as it is these days, at uh, Blind Guy Tech, on Mastodon, at Double Tap, and across social media, at Access Tech Live. Excellent. Thanks again for being here. You can find Parallel at relay.fm slash parallel. All the subscription information, there is a feedback form where you can send us any comments that you have. We're on the socials too. Parallel is at relay.fm parallel on Mastodon. Get in touch. We'll be back soon with another podcast. Maybe we'll talk about assistive access. Maybe we won't. Stephen Scott, thank you so much for being with us. Bye now.